0: Hello and welcome to The Riffraff Podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up The Riffraff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today we're talking to Paul Howarth, author of Only Killers and Thieves. We discuss early reveals of shocking plot points, writing violence, and how to address big themes through single characters.
1: They stalked the ruined scrubland searching for something to kill. Two boys, not quite men, tiny in a landscape withered by drought and drenched in unbroken sun. Vast plains pocked with spinifex and clumps of buckbush, grass brittle as old bone, red soil fine as gunpowder underfoot. There'd not been rain for a year, the whole bush smelled ready to burn. Dust blew in rivulets between the clutches of scrub and slid in great sheets over open ground. No cattle grazing here. What remained of the mob was Down Valley, closer to the creek, where the water ran in a trickle through a trough of dry mud and the surrounding floodplain offered the last of the feed. Now all that lived in these northern pastures were creatures meant for the terrain. Lizards, snakes, spiders, possums, dingoes, roos. Often there'd be rabbits, but even the rabbits knew to shelter from the afternoon sun. Only the flies were moving. There was nothing for the brothers to hunt. They'd been walking less than a mile when Tommy saw the first horse coming over the rise. He threw out a hand and grabbed Billy by the shirt and pulled them both down to their knees, his eyes on the horse all the while. It was heading east to west, only 500 yards away, and was ridden by a very tall man sitting fully erect in the saddle, wearing a slouch hat and long coat flapping open at the sides. After him came another rider, this one small and hatless, then a further five horses, seven in all, trotting in a single file column. Trailing behind them were three native men chained together at the necks, running in the dust thrown up by the hooves and struggling to keep their feet. Whenever one fell, so the others did too, causing the convoy to halt and the rearmost rider to shout and curse and yank on the chain, hauling them upright in a clumsy, jerking dance, whereupon the convoy would move forward until the next man fell, and the dance started over again. All this the brothers watched wide-eyed, neither of them speaking, barely breathing so it seemed, until finally Billy took Tommy's arm and dragged him in a crouch to a pair of Moses bushes growing side by side. They sprawled on their bellies and crawled underneath, thorns snagging their shirt backs and scraping their skin, wriggling far enough through to see the convoy again. Once more it had stalled. Another of the men had gone down. The rider yelled and pulled the chain but this time there was no response. The group watched and waited. The rider got down from his horse. He was wearing a kind of police uniform as were three of the others, white trousers, blue tunic, peaked hat. He walked over to the fallen native and kicked him. The native shifted in the dirt. The trooper slapped the other two about their heads, then kicked the man again. When still he didn't rise, the trooper returned to his horse, pulled a rifle from his pack and looked towards the front of the line. The tall man nodded. The trooper stood over the native, aimed and fired.
0: Hi Paul, thank you for joining us on the Riff Raff Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's great to have you here. So for those who have yet to read your debut Only Killers and Thieves, please can you tell us a little bit about what it's about? Yeah,
1: sure. So it's, um, it's set in uh, the Australian outback on the, on the Queensland frontier in 1885 um, and it concerns um, the McBride family and particularly the two young brothers, adolescent brothers, Tommy and Billy who, and this sounds like a spoiler, but it's not, because it's on the back of the book, uh, they one day come home from swimming to find their family have been murdered, and that sets in train um, a a chain of events which leads them um, to the Queensland Native Police, um, who were a um, a real-life band of um, law enforcement um, in the colonial era, and they set out for revenge, or what they think is revenge, but it ends up um, being... Much different to um, to exactly what they thought it would be, and it, the 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 quest they go on kind of tests them as both young men and their relationship as brothers, um, as they find themselves embroiled in a kind of um, an Australian Wild West, I suppose, the the f- the formation of the of the colony, um, which was a, a much more dark and violent place than maybe we we know.
0: Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about this beforehand, yeah, we were, yeah. like the sort yeah. of. Um, the, the whole concept of the native police. So maybe explain a little bit more about what that's
1: yeah, about. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's one of those historical kind of an- anomalies that maybe, maybe isn't as well known as it, as it ought to be. Um, it, the, the native police were, they, they existed in Queensland and in other Australian, um, colonies throughout the 19th century. And it basically involved a, uh, a European officer, a white European officer with conscripted, um, Aboriginal troopers who patrolled the settled frontier. And as that frontier moved, so did they. And they were basically there to, in the euphemism is disperse Indigenous Australians from white settled land. So as the land was cleared and settled for for cattle grazing, the native police were kind of the the enforcers, I suppose, of of white colonial rule. Um, And they had an absolutely devastating um, effect on the Indigenous population in Australia. Um, But they were... You know, they were a legitimate police force in, in, under British law, because it was British colonial law at the time. And they, um, they would send in reports to, you know, the government in Queensland or over to London or whatever. And all this, this, um, bloodshed was kind of swept under the carpet with euphemisms like dispersal or we have, you know, successfully cleared this district for grazing or whatever it was. So it was kind of in plain sight and then scrubbed from the records and scrubbed from the history books and, you, you know it's only kind of recently starting to to come out exactly what went on
0: like so much of their history is is exactly that isn't it yeah like the, with the stolen generations and stuff like that like people just don't i mean i didn't feel like i knew anything about it yeah before. that's right yeah. and, and you,
1: you you feel like you should i mean so i'm i'm, I'm british and australian I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dual citizen um but when i first moved out there you know you kind of feel like britain and australia are are we know we're close cousins Mm. we've got a kind of you know a sporting rivalry that goes back decades and all this kind of thing but I I was staggered by how little I knew and how little I'd been taught in kind of school and you know history and that kind of thing um about what has happened very recently in Australia and it's something that as as a country they're still kind of coming to grips with today so um yeah,
2: and you said that you'd lived there. Yeah, was it was it having actually been out there that 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 sparked your interest in this area of history? Was it when you were there that you started to learn about it? Yeah, or?
1: yeah, definitely. So it was you know I kind of moved out there. Um, I ended up staying for six and a half years, but I thought I was just going to be there for a short period of time. Um, but as we just said, it was that kind of realization that actually I've moved to a country as an immigrant and I don't really know an awful lot about it. Um, so I just started reading just for, you know, for general interest and traveling as well. So, you know, when you travel through Australia, you realize what a what a diverse and kind of amazingly unique country it is. But its history is kind of there, like in, in plain sight. Um, and you realize that you don't know an awful lot about how the country was formed, you know, and it's all very recent stuff. So yeah, I just started reading. And um, the more I read about it, the more I couldn't believe really that... This, as, as I said earlier, this kind of Australian Wild West that existed, mm. and it wasn't more prominent in fiction or in film or whatever, because we're very used to hearing like the American Western, mm. and you know it's it's become just totally um, ubiquitous, really. But there's very few examples, I think, certainly in 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 this country of of that kind of story um, in in Australia. Yeah. So yeah,
0: and it's I mean it's it's like the fact that it's in Australia is autom- automatically makes it like a bit like not not it makes it it take like an original take on something that's so tried and tested that's right. yeah, yeah. which is which is really great
1: yeah and 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 that's that's what you know by the time i mean it wasn't something that i kind of went out there and then immediately started writing this um i you know i've been there for the whole time really before i kind of came around to writing this story but it was that unique angle that made you feel like this was a story worth telling that hadn't hadn't already been told before.
0: And was it reading about the kind of native police that gave you this idea, like, or was it kind of reading about that time period? Or- yeah, I
1: mean, I was I, I was interested in the time period, but I, I I couldn't see a story there that I kind of wanted to tell or, or, or thought could could be told. Something that gave it that kind of unique angle. But then I, I did read about the native police, and that was kind of fascinating. That provided a real unique angle on it i thought and then so I, I i was i was hoping to write about the australian frontier and just the kind of colonial times and you know the idea of a kind of a, a settler family you know what was it like in that place in that time but then you throw in that additional angle and it the whole thing kind of came to life really yeah
2: and it's obviously quite a research heavy you know topic to co- yeah. to be covering how did your research take place did you do you mentioned reading mm. um did you you know archive hunting how do you go about researching yeah kind a of like
1: this? A, a bit of everything really um so while I was living out there I probably did most of the research and maybe not as much as you would think you kind of you kind of think that like you say this would be kind of a, a really kind of in-depth research project but really um you know I kind of read around the time and around the 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 period and the, the place. Um, so I, I had an idea of how people lived in that place in that time. Um, the specifics about the native police, there's not a huge amount of work been done. I was very grateful for a couple of kind of really bang on point history books, which gave me details like, you know, what the uniforms were, what weapons they used, kind of how the rank structure was organised and all that kind of thing. And then it was really as and when I needed stuff. I would, you know, say I was writing a scene where someone... I want him to be smoking something. I'd then be like, right, what what did they smoke? Mm-hmm. You know, did they cigarettes, pipes? What, what kind of tobacco? Kind of where did they get, kind of get it from? And <clears throat> would it have been available in the in the outback? You know, in the on, on the frontier. So then you drill down into those specific details. But one of the one of the things that I did want to do with this book was to make it feel contemporary, so that it doesn't feel like it could only have taken place. Kind of 130 years ago, that it that it reads like almost a contemporary, not not thriller, but you know, it's got that contemporary page turner mm. feel to it, while still having the authenticity of the period detail, and try and kind of put those two aspects together.
0: Yeah, that definitely works and definitely comes across. It is a massive page turner. Thank you. And um, what I was saying to you earlier, like Rosie, man, like the sense <laughs> the sense of dread that you get from like this from page one is just <laughs> it like makes you feel almost like sick because you're just like and and you you know you you mentioned earlier that you the family dying yeah and um or being murdered even and um like was that a conscious because you know like knowing that reading the blurb I don't always read the blurb and then I read that and I was like oh well I know something awful is going to happen like really soon was that a decision to to put that in there or to like add to the dread or was that just kind of do
1: you, mean, do you mean to put it on the cover? On well, could,
0: well to ha- yeah, to have yeah. to be like this happens. I mean, I know that's kind of like the crux of the story, and then yeah. the rest of it comes from there. But like that—that that means that you start reading it instantly, feeling yeah. Worried. And and <laughs> I I
1: think that works really well, and I I think that's more the publisher's decision than yeah, mine. Okay, um, and when I when I first saw it, I think it was maybe on the proofs or something. I I did kind of think, well, are we are we giving too much away here? Um, but I think they've done it for that exact reason that you say, I spoke to my agent about it, you know, we were just kind of chatting. I just said, oh, you know, what do you think about putting, putting this on the cover? And she said, well, if you don't, then what you're reading about is a family living on the frontier. If you do, then what you're reading about is a family living on the frontier and you know something terrible is going to happen. And that's a much more interesting story. So I think, I think that works really well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: so interesting, isn't it? When you finally show your work to somebody else, the different kind of Take they have on it, mm. you know. I know that you know. Yeah. Obviously, your publisher's looking at it, and your agent from a commercial point of view. But you know, the idea that you know what in your head was was the big twist or the big reveal. Actually, you know, someone else. It just shows the value of you know having someone yeah. else look at your work, doesn't yeah. it? For and I think sure. It's also,
0: the situation like is. That's that's what the situation becomes. Then you know, like you're you're even though you're preparing for that to happen. It's like, what's the What's going to be the result of this specific situation of the family being murdered? Yeah, like, yeah. Know, so it's
1: and I I, I kind of knew that I, I wanted that to happen quite early, and that I knew that that wouldn't be that. That's kind of the thing that kicks a certain part of the story off. Mm. But in the writing, it, the 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 impact that the storyline has on the two brothers is founded in what happens to the family. Mm. So I couldn't just have I, I couldn't just kill off the family in kind of chapter one because yeah. it just wouldn't have it wouldn't have had that same resonance and that it wouldn't have carried that same weight so it doesn't happen for you know quite quite mm. a few chapters but I think it's trying to find that balance between as, as you say getting that sense of dread giving giving the boys that grounding that then carries them through for the rest of the book and still leaving enough of the story untold afterwards mm. for there to be even more of a of a kind of climax yeah, down the but you, road but
0: you've put so many kind of like things in those beginning chapters where you're establishing the world essentially yeah. where you know that that make the reader clock oh that's interesting that mm. he's got that billy's got that point of view and yeah and um like so it's, so it's yeah Work, like very well done I mean, yeah, like, thank really you. Like, oh my god <laughs> so many things here like yeah i'm so enjoying
2: it but, thank and you. as amy said setting it in australia is a bit of a different take on the traditional american yeah western yeah. and we've been talking about you know building tension and what else would you suggest and what else did you find useful for writing you know putting your own stamp on the classic western genre mm.
1: i mean yeah there's, there's a few people have asked me about this about you know why I wrote a a western or whatever it is I I I didn't think I was (laughs) like I I didn't set out to write a western um but that's I guess the nearest sort of genre label that that you can put on the book um so I didn't pay any attention to be perfectly honest to the kind of tradition of western like westerns as it were I mean I I've, I've read a lot of Kind of Cormac McCarthy, for example, mm-hmm. uh, Philip Meyer, and I, I guess they are this kind of thing. It's like a, a, I think they call it a revisionist western or a, you know, a more modern take on that old old trope. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I just set about trying to tell this story in the best way I could, and you know, quite deliberately doing the thing that sounds like it's working, which mm-hmm. is great. That you get that sense of dread and you get that that gradual building. And what I wanted to do with the pacing was kind of have it al- almost like a like a, a rolling boulder going down a hill mm. so you kick it off and you it's, it's already rolling so you, you you want to see it still going but it just gets faster and faster and faster and it gathers more kind of stuff as mm-hmm. it goes and it you know the destruction is, is worse the more it goes mm. so I, I wanted that kind of relentlessness to it Um so whether that's a, a, a western kind of trait I'd I don't know. It is relentless. Yeah.
0: It is. How did you, how, in terms of how you got that pacing to work, was that just, you knew that that was your plan, you wrote, and then as you were editing, you put that kind of like, because the chapters are relatively short, really. Yeah. You know, it does yeah. keep you, it does keep you engaged. So is that how you kind of paced it? Yeah.
1: There were, there were, I'm, I'm not really a planner, so I I don't kind of map the book out before, before I write it, but I kind of need to know where I'm going. And, and I had three, three distinct Kind of arcs in my head. So one is from the beginning to where the family are killed, and then there's two others that I won't reveal. But you know, they and they each kind of almost ramp up in in tension and in um, consequence, I suppose. And um, so that gave the novel a kind of nicely um, um, structured kind of way of, of, of being told. So you you have the. I mean, it's the classic kind of three act structure, but it's yeah. not. It's not. The classic three act structure in, in in this book, but what I'm doing is taking taking three distinct sections and making each of them work on their own terms almost, mm-hmm. um, and then you have a kind of epilogue at the end wrapping up. So it was about trying to make sure that that it wasn't just one big long arc. There was there was individual um, kind of sections mm-hmm. to that. So.
2: And the book is obviously, it's a Western, or Western-light-ish, <laughs> um, it's a Western-ish, um, but it is quite violent. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is a bit of an understatement. Um What was your approach to, to writing The Violence? Did you ever sort of struggle with that? Did you have to come to it gradually, or did you just hit it, you know, on the head straight off the... Are you naturally violent? <laughs> uh,
1: you, you, you've outed me. Oh, yeah, this is it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, it's extreme violent. I mean, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where if, if, if you're going to write this kind of story, um, you're ducking the issue if you don't have the violence in there because all you have to do is open a history book and it's way worse than in this novel, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and when you've read that kind of stuff... Um, and I think again, if 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 you're going to tackle this period and some of the issues that the book throws up, you kind of owe it to history to to show exactly how it was. And I think if you duck it, then you, for me anyway, you're not telling the story how it how it ought to be told. In terms of actually writing the thing, um, some of it was easier than others. So uh, the kind of like day to day, kind of common like brutality that with, with with the kind of men who are involved in in this book violence comes very easy to them so you know a bit of fighting here casual kind of execution there these guys do it and it's it's very much in in character for them so that just came out of writing the the characters and, and the story and then there are a few bigger set pieces which which were difficult um and I did have to come to them kind of more gradually, and um, there's one in particular it's a fairly kind of climactic scene in the book where because I generally work during the day, and I can remember kind of my first like i'd i'd been I kind of knew I was coming to this, and it had taken a while for me to get to this particular scene and i I'd got there, so that was the next thing that I had to write, but it was like a lovely sunny day and it was really nice outside, and I just thought i can't I can't write this kind of scene here Sorry. and and now. <laughs> um so i i just kind of had to wait and i i wrote it i did my first attempt at it that night so i waited till it was dark that the house was quiet i had a few glasses of wine you know i kind of kept the lights low and 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 that was kind of a way that i could try and write it because like like you say you know it is it is quite dark some of those passages but um I, yeah, I just couldn't kind of do it on a lovely sunny, a sunny day. day. With, yeah. 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 Exactly, day. exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> cool. so, so we spoke, we touched a little bit then on kind of some of the characters that you have in this book. Yeah. That are, I mean, like Sullivan is completely a boring. Yeah, he and, is. Um, yeah. And No One is also a really interesting character. Like, mm. I, I like I'm enjoying the fact that he's like super educated mm. and his, his outlook is you know, incredibly interesting. Yeah. And he's obviously horrible, well, yeah. but, like, but it's, it's interesting kind of. Um, and yeah. we should just mention that the character is called No One. Noon. Noon. Oh, oh, I've been yeah. reading it as No Have One.
1: You? No, no, he's called Noon. Oh, what an yeah. idiot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Noon is super cool. Noone, yeah. 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 I was like, oh, No One, that's a bold decision, but Noon is actually... Her. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's his
1: name, yeah. So okay. it's uh, it's uh, a... <laughs> I, th- I, I think it's an Irish name or originally. I don't know. Um, so it's, yeah, it's Noon... As in the time, but with yeah. with an e on the with end. An e on yeah, other. Sorry, yeah, can't that's all right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just reading it like that. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about kind of writing these unlikable characters? Yeah,
1: I mean, he he, he he's he's kind of the the big one, I suppose. You you've got the the two brothers who are um, like Tommy's the protagonist, and he's the he's the the heart of the story, the kind of moral consciousness of the story. He's fourteen when the book starts, fifteen when it when um, the main part of the book finishes. And I kind of always felt that if I was going to tell this kind of story, then it needed to have a, a reasonably strong moral centre, and and I was, I was interested in how a, a boy or an adolescent of that age could grow up in this kind of world and still come out with his kind of humanity intact. Um, Billy, his brother, is older, he's um, more headstrong, he's more ambitious, he considers himself a man, even though he's only 16 when the book starts, um, and he's... He's very much kind of of a di- different ilk to Tommy, so that clash of personalities, which has always been fine when they're in the confines of their own little homestead, and you know Tommy's happy to let Billy be the the leader. He looks up to his brother, but then they're th- thrown into the adult world, and and those two different personalities traits really start kind of pulling them apart. Mm-hmm. You see the friction between the two of them, um, and then with the with the character like Noon, um, the the um, Epigraph to the novel actually, which I might just read since I've got my copy here, um, is a real life description of a native police officer. I should say, yeah, Noon is the guy who leads this um, patrol of native police. So this is from a newspaper, uh, The Queenslander in 1875 and it says um, he with his little band of black boys at his heels inspired the Aborigines with such a wholesome dread that it was only necessary when on any of their marauding expeditions to say his name and they would go yelling pell-mell into the bush so I I needed to create a character who could live up to that real life description mm-hmm. um, and who could embody kind of the, the ideals of British colonial rule um, while at the same time kind of do, doing that the thing that I've that I've just read and yet still maintain some kind of um, um, believability as a as a as a person as a as a human being you know you can't just create a monster because they're not really believable um,
2: there has to be some sort of empathy doesn't yeah. there to an extent
0: yeah, yeah. and yeah. He, like the way that you um, kind of you know he's he's he sticks to the rules doesn't he you know he he, he he's, he's he's not just it's not just like even though he obviously is violent and brutal like he's it's it's kind of under very much under the guise of like who's who he works for yeah and kind of and like his kind of attitudes towards you know his own race yeah are kind of very confusing to read yeah yeah like but then at the same time it's 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 interesting to read to to see to get a glimpse into the psyche of a a man that can do that as a job
1: yeah well he's he's the embodiment of of the empire he's he's kind of he's in, for, this, for the purpose of this book, he, he is the British Empire in Australia. So, I kind of gave him those qualities. Probably isn't the right word, but you know, the—he—he—he um, he, he has to somehow embody all of those different aspects of colonial rule: the the ruthlessness, the kind of the organisation, the intelligence, the um, ambition, and everything else. So it's interesting that he's yeah.
0: one character to kind of yeah. convey that, that
2: that bigger thing. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously because it is set when it's set Mm. you know the colonial times racism is obviously a huge yeah element of it and you know exactly you can't duck it 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 was part of life and and Mm. the times but you need to obviously write about it in a way that is authentic but you know without sensationalizing it yeah for you know how did you tackle what is you know now a very sensitive topic with authenticity
1: yeah I mean it, it it is difficult um I think what I always just tried to do was was just kind of tell this story as truthfully as I could um and if I could create characters who um, were believable then the things that happen um to indigenous um, people in the book um at least would have that kind of authenticity to it um like I say you just have to read the history books to kind of see see what happened um but in terms of sort of us reading it now in the in the in the 21st century um i i didn't want to try and kind of send any message or anything like that it was more a case of just if i can shine a a spotlight on this particular time uh tell as good a story as i can in as balanced a way as i can and then whatever people take away from that now you know that's that's for them really um so hopefully it does resonate with people but how or in what way, you know, that's well, that's for them.
2: Well, I think it's, you know, it chimes in with people at like Afua Hirsch who are writing, you know, who are going back and, you know, reassessing, you know, you know, British history, yeah. for example, and you know it's important to say it was incredibly racist. Yeah. Because you know it's not saying that we condone that, it, yeah. but it's reflecting the true nature of the time and you know the looking damage at, of colonialism. In, in colonialism, yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah and
0: yeah. I think that was quite a like your title was obviously um, only killers and thieves mm. is kind of um, quite a sort of confronting title in a way because it's kind of like maybe like a term used to kind of how how they use how they. Speak about Aborigine, Aboriginals, yeah. is, like, is like that, but then, yeah. um, essentially, you're reading a story about people exactly. that are just doing that. Exactly. They are that. So, that, yeah. was that? Was it? Was it your choice of title? Yes. Or? Yeah. And yeah, it okay. was. And it was.
1: It was totally deliberate. I mean, it, it's there's a line towards the end of the book where exactly as you say, somebody uses that to describe um, Aboriginal people, but of course, you've just read an entire story mm-hmm. where the very opposite is true. Um, so I actually got. I came to the title quite late. I I, I didn't have a title. So you wrote um, that naturally, and then you were like, yes, Ooh. yes. Oh, and then nice. it was yeah. And then it was like <laughs> that that could work. So um, I was I was really happy when I found yeah. that because titles are hard. You know they are they are very hard. If for me anyway, if I don't have one immediately, then. I, it takes ages for some mm. for a title to come. So,
2: And finally, could you tell us a little bit um, about your writing practice? Do you yeah. do you have particular ways of writing, times of writing? You can only write on your head at 9 o'clock at night, <laughs> you know, drinking a, <laughs> a martini, I don't yeah. know.
1: Well, I'd mean, be great if it was that. <laughs> <laughs> Please say it's it's, that. it's it's really boring compared oh, to that, unfortunately. Man. Like, I, I, I have to juggle uh, writing time with uh, with kids. So when, like, my eldest daughter's at school... That's kind of my, like, I, I just do a general working day. So nine till three, sometimes nine till four. So I just sit down at kind of nine, half nine and, and start work, basically. Um, you know, sometimes I'll sit there for hours and nothing happens and you're on Twitter or YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it comes really well. But I I do pretty much work a, a, a working week during general daytime hours, um, which probably isn't how I would do it if I had completely free reign. You know, I'd probably work... Either really early in the morning or late at night, or something like that, but I've kind of got used to it now. Um, so yeah, it's just a case of kind of sit down and just get on with it like any other job, I suppose.
0: It's a nice way of looking at it. And are you, are you writing something else? Yeah, um, you are yeah, there. is it yeah. A Western or? yeah? I mean, no, it's, it's
1: it's 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 very early days, it's it's kind of connected to this one, um, but. It's, it's so early that I can't really say anymore that
2: excites me though more <laughs> dread more <laughs> yeah. dread if you um, thank you so much for joining oh, thank us thank you for having me and we can't wait to have you at the Riff on June the 14th definitely looking forward to it buy a ticket come along
0: yep. read the book it's brilliant yep. um, Yeah. and thank we'll see you, you there thank you very much thank you so
1: thanks. much well, thank thanks guys thank
0: Please do let us know what you think, what you'd like more of and any debut authors you'd like to hear from. Also, it would be really lovely if you could subscribe and give us a review so we can spread the word and give these marvellous debut authors the exposure they deserve. The Riff Podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com.